but there are stories being told by people who are out of their minds. That's what we've always believed. Live Patrol, an edutainment podcast that brings to light ingenious, interesting, and sometimes unbelievable stories from history and mixes in creative storytelling. Every episode, we hope you learn at least four facts that you can use around the dinner table or at the DMV to astound your family, friends, or John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. The headlines are ear-catching, that can't be true factoids, while the explanations show you just how real they are. Every week there will be two little lies thrown in the mix to keep us on our toes and vigilant for the truth. My name is Michael. My name is Brenna. And the topic this week is... Grub. Food. It's food. It's food. It's, it's, it's we're not talking about insects. We're talking about food. I didn't say grubs. And grubs can be food. I watched Lion King. I heard they're slimy yet satisfying. Like they're probably s- all the foods that you're gonna talk they're about. Their slimies are satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> also, can I just say how envious I am that you were able to get through the first part without a <laughs> single mess up? I hate you. Because I'm a professional. What's your stories? Okay. Massive bumblebee tuna recall after two employees admit to cooking a man and mixing him with a batch of tuna. Okay. It was three men. (laughs) Three, three, three men. Oh, wait. How does a count do it? (laughs) Three. Uh, 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 uh. (laughs) Okay. Number two. Local Kentucky jewelry company gold-plated actual KFC chicken bones and sold them as earrings. Oh, God, I think I recall hearing something about that, actually. Jeez. Okay. Okay, number three. An ice cream flavor that only comes once every 13 years gets banned by the FDA. Cicada ice cream. Because there were too many bug parts. <laughs> Crunchy. Uh, okay, let's number, number one again. <laughs> <laughs> Massive bumblebee tuna recall oh, after geez. two employees admit to cooking a man and mixing him with a batch of tuna. I mean, like, bumblebee tuna is like, it's pretty, it, there's not a lot of chunks left in it. Bumblebee like, is like... It's like the hot dog of tuna. It's kind of the hot dog of tuna, but, I mean, okay, so there's like the store brand... Store brand and Bumblebee are probably, like, They probably come off the same... In fact, there are some store brands that are probably higher than Bumblebee. (laughs) And then, of course, there's Chicken of the Sea, which is next. And then then there's there's Sunkissed. Starkissed. Yeah. Starkissed. Sunkissed. (laughs) Orange flavor. (laughs) The sun lifts the tuna out of the sky and goes... (laughs) So lovely, my tunas. (laughs) Okay, and then the second one was... Local Kentucky Jewelry Company gold-plated actual KFC chicken bones and sold them as earrings. And the third one was cicada ice cream. Okay, give me KFC earrings. Okay. People go crazy for fried chicken. That's not hyperbole. That is a fact. Yeah, but you don't have to say it like that. I'm bringing energy to this. I'm livening it up. Uh, I'm making it crispy if you would you say energy i think that was kind of rude oh i apologize if i offended anybody with my energy <laughs> okay, well i don't know if they accept your apology but keep going 
Cultures across the world have their own way of getting flightless fowl crispy, but with a self-reported 24,000 restaurants across 145 countries, it is safe to say that the KFC, or Kentucky Fried Chicken franchise, is by far the most famous. Although a December 2020 report found Bojangles to outscore KFC in its home state of Kentucky as the best fried chicken restaurant, that doesn't mean you can't turn a little profit off the famous KFC name. In 2014, a local Kentucky jewelry company called Kentucky for Kentucky and a local jeweler called Meg C. teamed up for a chicken-inspired take on jewelry. (laughs) According to Kentucky for Kentucky's website, Meg C. was eating KFC chicken wings when she had the idea to gold plate them and sell them as necklaces and earrings. Please tell me they use flats. They Well, it was mostly, probably. <laughs> I imagine it was, because those are the ones you can get cleanest. And if anybody wants to see, maybe we'll uh, videotape Michael getting his wings so clean that it makes me grossed out. Um. <laughs> but I love fried chicken, too. Like, I... Please continue. <laughs> We're not putting a video of me <laughs> eating, <laughs> eating chicken wings online, so just continue. So we're going to put that up probably this coming week. (laughs) Fine, fine, fine to be announced. Damn. Patreon goal. (laughs) Yeah, Patreon (laughs) Patreon Platinum. You get to watch me eat chicken wings. (laughs) God. Okay. This involved eating the chicken, cleaning the bones, drying them, varnishing them, graphite painting them, electroforming them with copper, and last but not least, electroforming them with the gold plating. It sounds like a lot of work, and in total, they finished 40 pieces of jewelry, 25 necklaces, and 15 sets of earrings. The necklaces were priced between... Uh, 24 karat? What, what kind, well, how, how thick was the plating? It's gold plating, so... No, but how... But how because it... Like, the, the plating process, it's the same whether it's like 12 karat or like 16 or like 24... But the thickness, how much gold they actually use, that's where you, they get you. Because that's what I learned in the AMC episode when they when they gold-plated the the, the DeLoreans. That's how good. How thick was the gold? Michael, when I, I ask don't, you I these don't know. questions, probably, it's mostly for filler. Probably like 100 to 300 bucks for the necklaces. 100 to 300. Okay. That's, see, that was that was easy, huh? And it was probably it was, pr- it, was, it was probably like twelve karat gold, and like it would probably the gold probably rubs off as soon as you wear it once. Like you're gonna tell okay. me they're like a grand, weren't aren't you? Can I can I say it yet? No, I'm gonna keep <laughs> insinuating things about them. <laughs> it's gonna keep backtracking all over yeah, about. It was probably like a rose gold chain, and it was just, rose gold is nice. <laughs> Yeah, but if it's not super thick, it's the same. It's the same thing. Like all gold chains will break. <laughs> not not if it's gold plated. True, if it's like titanium <laughs> plated in gold. I, I don't know why you would do that, but okay. <laughs> because you don't want it to break. <laughs> it's gonna be going through some rigorous stuff. <laughs> it's gonna be doing some of that uncut gems kind of <laughs> action. The necklaces were priced between $130 and $160, depending on the size of the bone. And the earring sets were $200 a pair, which, in all fairness, isn't that expensive for a unique piece of gold-plated jewelry. Like, you know, you're you're paying for the uniqueness. But at the end of the day, you only have a chicken bone, so... It's a chicken bone just covered in some some stuff. Like, hey, yo, girl, I can take you down to the KFC. We can get this done for, like, five bucks. (laughs) 
I got. I, can, I hit up the Michaels over there. Yeah, got I some got some spray paint. paint. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the same one I used on my hubs, baby. <laughs> in the end, there were enough KFC lovers to sell out the jewelry, making it a successful first in the jewelry food crossover category. And since neither party has stated whether they are planning to bring back their poultry bone line, this jewelry can be described as a highly limited edition item in the KFC fandom. I'm sure. The. The profit margin on those were probably ridiculous. They they made seven grand and they probably only spent like maybe a thousand on materials. Yeah, but the time it took like seven hours every for just to for the electroplating, apparently. Mm. So electroplating sucks. It sounds like fun actually. We can we can do that at <laughs> I home. really want to try. Yeah, Michael. Jewelry making is something people can do at no, home. No, 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 no. We'll electroplate <laughs> some 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 hardware and then you're gonna you're gonna electroplate my grills baby hell yeah i hope you guys heard that <laughs> <laughs> all right what do you want to go with next oh god uh read the read number three again an ice cream flavor that only comes once every 13 years gets banned by the fda FDA I'm running this song so that he can have some time and so we don't get sued by Jeopardy. FDA 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 It was number one. <laughs> Massive bumblebee tuna recall after oh, two Jesus. employees admit to cooking oh. a man and mixing him with a batch of tuna. Give me the ice cream. Alright, the star of the story is something slightly alien to me. In fact, it's probably pretty alien to anyone who hasn't lived in the part of the U.S. that is west of Wyoming and south of Minnesota. I hate you a little bit, but also I'm a little... I'm a little happy. Are you going to talk about soda pop? <laughs> talk about that pop. <laughs> Sodies. <laughs> Do you have any guess on what might live in the middle of the U.S. and be tasty in ice cream but only every 13 years? Because yes, you do. Is it cicadas? <laughs> During the summer of 2011, an ice cream shop in Columbia, Missouri called Sparky's was able to block out a horrible sound long enough to come up with a creative idea to deal with the critter that was causing the sound. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep, cicadas. Do you like where this is going? Yes, I love it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so I learned a lot about cicadas from this story, which was great because I didn't know much about them before and none of my close friends are cicadas, so I didn't have a lot of info to go off of. One of the coolest things is that what is called a periodical cicada, the ones you hear about that lay dormant for years before coming up to mate and then die, are only found in the United States. Oh, interesting. Particularly from the Midwest down to the South. Seasonal cicadas live all over the world and bring their unique buzz during the warm months. But here in the U.S., we have what are called broods, which are groups of periodical cicadas that are on the same, uh, on the similar dormant periods. Although this story is about the Great Southern Brood, or Brood 19, which has a 13-year dormancy average, just this year, 2021, the East was bombarded with Brood 10, or Brood X, emerged which is the largest of the 17-year broods. So this is topical. Oh, fun. <laughs> yeah, so everybody was complaining on the interwebs about, oh, these cicadas, when are they going to go back? Brood extreme. <laughs> the extreme brood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before this, I had only ever heard cicadas making their weird clicking in Harvest Moon video games, so not a lot of life experience for this one. Um, okay, 
Easterners, you can stop being bored with all this stuff. You already know I'm getting back to the actual story. <laughs> Anyways, back to the ice cream. The crafty employees at Sparky's brought in cicadas they had picked from their backyard, which were then cooked via boiling and then covered in brown sugar and milk chocolate. They were then mixed into a brown sugar and butter ice cream base and sold to the public. Doesn't that sound scrumptious? I mean, like, it's got a lot of sugar. It probably tasted fine. Had a nice crunch to it. But honestly, I would probably... I'd try it. I would be like, Michael, 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 we gotta get the ice cream. I don't know if I'd go out of my way to go try it. But Michael, if we were Michael, there... I would like to go out of my way. You have to come with me, though. Here's <laughs> um, $10. Go, go see a Star Wars. <laughs> but, 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 but. <laughs> Michael, it's once in every 17 years. Not, not anymore. Oh, I guess it was 13. This one was the 17. It was 13 years. According to an NPR article... The ice cream sold out before they even had a chance to place it in the case. So before they even put the big boy into the case so you could scoop it out, people already ate it all. <laughs> Unfortunately for Sparky's and the local ice cream lovers of Missouri, although cicadas have been deemed edible by many cultures and experts, when the owners of Sparky's contacted the FDA to make sure it was okay to keep selling the ice cream, they were informed they should stop and the buzzing operation was over before a second batch could even begin. Although the food code does not directly address cicadas, according to an environmental health manager named Gary Worley, we advised against it. And though experts agree that cicadas are edible, it is not advised to eat insects from your backyard due to possible ingestion of pesticides and other env environmental chemicals, which is sad. God, a lightning bug ice cream would be so sick. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you make the ice cream glow? <laughs> That's for marketing. <laughs> <laughs> One ice cream fan, however, reported they tasted kind of like... Chicken. A peanut. <laughs> <laughs> Side note, if you would like to learn more about periodical cicadas, their expected emergence cycles, or if you live near any, the website cicadamania.com is really informative. Because now I know people like to buy shirts to promote their local broods. <laughs> so they definitely had brood eggs shirts that are like, yeah, and coffee mugs for brood eggs. <laughs> people really like to support support your local cicadas, so, okay? Support your local brood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can't do that here in the West. We don't have any cicadas. Don't Aren't there some in, isn't there a brood in Nevada? No, there's none. Oh. No, no periodical cicadas, no. Oh. No, we have Mormon crickets. They're Crickets, also gross. That's, that's what it is. Okay. <laughs> they're also really gross. Well, they're I don't know, they're they feel like when they when they overrun the place, it's kind of like what you hear from cicadas, like they're huge. They're so big they don't really fly around anymore. They just kind of walk places and they get in the way and you kind of squish them and you feel kind of bad because they're so big. It's almost like squishing a teacup dog. <laughs> Alright, you silly person, you <laughs> This makes me happy you don't fall for this. Okay, yeah, so... Yeah, because it was three dudes, right? <laughs> no, it was Star Kiss. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah, Star Kiss was the one. <laughs> the murder it was, tuna. It was store brand. Kroger did it. <laughs> Kroger did it again. <laughs> Add that to the list of times Kroger's tried to feed people to right. us. <laughs> Great value kills people. <laughs> Oh, okay. Massive bumblebee tuna recall after two employees admit to cooking a man and mixing him with a batch of tuna. Well, you can't complain this week about me not writing in the form of headlines because this is an actual headline. Well, 
If you believe everything your friends aunt shares on Facebook. Oh. <laughs> Since 2015, when Bumblebee and two employees faced criminal charges for violating occupational safety and health administration rules that ended with a man losing his life, the headline has popped up every now and then as panic-inducing clickbait. The headline is not true, but that doesn't take away from the horrible true story that did actually occur to one Bumblebee employee. He fell backwards into a into a vat of <laughs> tuna, and then he got pickled for a hundred years, right? Michael, well, man died <laughs> for a hundred years. Yeah, and when he came back out, he realized he, he got his to meet grandson his great, great, great freaking grandson. sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently, his great grandson puts out really good dope uh, weed. I was gonna call it dope. We're not Canadians. <laughs> not a movie podcast. Not a movie podcast. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, on October 11, 2012, Jose Molina, a 62-year-old employee of Bumblebee, was loading cans of tuna into the 35-foot-long oven used to cook the tuna and sterilize the aluminum. So, the, they're already in cans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just because mm-hmm. people online are like, oh my god, you're just in there with a bunch of tuna. Like, no, they're <laughs> in cans. It's all over the floor. They don't cook up before they put it in the cans. It's way more efficient. It's in a than vat, just, and then they just, have the cans he's over on there. racks he, above it. He's over there slipping on, he's got tunas on his feet. He's pulling a he's <laughs> Mr. Tuna. Bean. He's wearing, oh, no, he's wearing tuna tunas, slippers. <laughs> tuna slippers. <laughs> he just got done doing his little musical. <laughs> scene yeah people had all kinds of crazy ideas about how what the setup was the cans were in tuna the tuna was already in cans they hadn't been cooked yet you'll put them in on pallets you use a jack to put them in there you go and then it cooks it sterilizes the aluminum all right according to a site who based their article on the la times article that no longer exists unfortunately molina had left his pallet jack he had been using to move the tuna cans outside of the oven it is believed he went back inside to fix what was believed to be a chain in the oven, and when a co-worker saw his pallet jack outside of the, cu- the oven, it was assumed that Molina had taken a break to use the restroom. Brace yourselves, folks. This is not going to be a fun ride. The co-worker who had found Molina's pallet jack decided to use it, presumably to finish loading the tuna, as well as moving on to another task when it was finished. So once the oven was full, the door was closed, and it was hot tuna time. The oven cooked the canned tuna at 270 degrees Fahrenheit, or roughly 132 degrees Celsius. Meanwhile, a supervisor asked the co-worker why he was using Molina's pallet, Jack, and once the supervisor had realized Molina was missing, he announced it over the intercom. Other Bumblebee employees searched for him after his car was found to be still in the parking lot. How do you feel? Uh, I don't know. Grind him up, stick him in the tuna cans. <laughs> you gonna oh, you gonna get a can opener in there? <laughs> we don't waste anything. Waste not one that. Shut up. This is awful. <laughs> After searching for roughly an hour and a half, it was suggested by another worker that they search the last oven that was loaded. It is unclear. It is unclear how long the cooking process took and how much of the time looking for Molina was during the cooling period of the oven. But the oven required two hours to completely cool to a safe opening temperature, meaning it was at least two hours before their worst nightmare had been realized, and Molina's charred remains were discovered in the back of the oven. You're probably wondering how something like that could have happened in 2012, 
with all of the workplace safety regulations that seem to be in place to keep you from being, I don't know, cooked to death at work. Because uh, OSHA doesn't care about Bumblebee. <laughs> <clears throat> well, the company Bumblebee Foods, along with the Santa Fe Plants Operation Director Angel Rodriguez and the former safety manager Saul Flores, were all charged with three counts of violating occupational safety and health administration rules that led to the death of an employee. In 2015, three years after Jose Molina met his horrifyingly tragic demise, Bumblebee Foods paid $6 million to settle the criminal charges in a plea agreement where it was agreed that Bumblebee had until January of 2017 to fix the safety problems that led to Molina's death. And upon successfully doing so, the company would then plead to plead guilty to a misdemeanor count of willful failure to implement and maintain an effective safety program. A misdemeanor for killing a man. Yeah, the company gets a misdemeanor. Oh, yeah. Does that mean, like, they have probate? Like, do they, does the whole company <laughs> the, have to... <laughs> the CEO has to, has to put on the orange jacket and go pick up trash. Yeah, like, what does that even mean for a company to have a misdemeanor? <laughs> this included upgrading the oven so that they could be open from the inside, which, gee, what a, what a great idea. Or have some sort of fail-safe so a human doesn't get trapped and cooked again. They also needed to implement a Lodo system or lockout tagout system, which they didn't previously have. You remember what lockout tagout is, right? Mm-hmm. For those folks who aren't privy to heavy machinery work, lockout tagout basically means a machine that needs maintenance requires a locked mode where it's unable to receive power and cannot be used, which keeps people safe while working on it. It's usually a lock that goes on the power cord. Exactly. Yeah, something like that. This pretty, it's pretty basic, and it's absolutely ridiculous that a company as big as Bumblebee was not using it in 2012, or possibly that their employees weren't being trained to do so at the very least. Mother Nature is going to be with us for the rest of this podcast, unfortunately. <laughs> Both Rodriguez and Flores received plea agreements as well. Rodriguez received 320 hours of community service and an $11,400 fine with his felony charge being reduced to a misdemeanor upon compliance, as well as being required to make a public statement admitting his guilt in the death of Molina. So that was the director of plant operations. The safety manager, Flores, was sentenced to three years of formal probation, 30 days community labor, and attendance to work safety classes focused on Lodo and confined spaces, he also was fined 19 grand and required to make a public statement of his guilt, reducing his felony to a misdemeanor as well upon completion. That's crazy. I didn't know a, per, uh, uh, a singular person can be held accountable for a company's negligence. Yeah, well, I think it's because they, they found out that this specific factory, I don't know, I guess it doesn't really uh, cover if they found other ones, but this it's the the way that the factory itself is set up it's not like the company policy was bad or something i mean the company policy was bad but the fact that this guy is supposed to be the head of safety and he's not even like following what they were supposed to be doing in the first place yeah i don't know it, it just feels weird that like they made him a fall guy i guess like it's a little bit like making him it, a fall guy it, it seems like someone at the top is just like nah we don't need it and just, that's, that's more cost screw it it's fine yeah I mean, these people definitely do have a hand Who's in Who's going to get locked into the oven? That's crazy talk. Why, why are we even having this conversation? See, this is the kind of stuff... This is why I was on a safety community, committee at one point. <laughs> it's because people would walk around going like, yeah, but you'd have to be an idiot and be like, no, I see no, idiots every no day. Gonna, no one's going to hit the racks with, with the forklift. It's fine. <laughs> God, you're... <sighs> 
It, we don't we don't hire idiots. Like no one's gonna do that. <laughs> Jeez. After the third time having to rebuild racks because people ran <laughs> and forklifts into them. <laughs> okay. As of today, Jose Molina's family has received one point five million in restitution for the loss of their husband and father but are hopeful that others will not have to suffer what he had. Honestly, I feel like the family just, like, did... They were very gracious in this, because honestly, I'd just be like, I don't care. I'm going to burn that place down. <laughs> I mean, like, he he was 61. Like, he died doing what he loved, which was... He was very passionate about... <laughs> His tuna slippers, uh, go uh, ahead, uh, say it. <laughs> about tuna... <laughs> Tuna in a can. Jesus Christ. <laughs> You're horrible. That's why, that's why I want to wait. <laughs> in case you have to cut it out. Uh-huh. <laughs> Bumblebee also paid 750000 to the District Attorney's Environmental Enforcement Fund as part of the deal, and as of 2017, after a plant walkthrough, it was deemed that Bumblebee had made sufficient improvements to keep their employees trained and safe when operating the ovens. Yeah, I think what the craziest part was is how that off- that oven was built. Like, it had nothing to where you could get... Like, what, were they afraid the cans were going to try to get out? Yeah, <laughs> Like, I how would you not have that? I can't that? believe there was no no emergency stop, like a fire, supre- like a fire suppression there system or something. There should be something, something like, like that. That's insane that they don't have some sort of, like, pull this thing and it stops the oven yeah, from the Yeah, like inside. it rains water down so you can open it in five minutes or something. But like, how how is that, like... Yeah, and you hear these stories still to this day of people getting locked in freezers. Like, that also shouldn't be happening. Walk-in freezers should not be allowed to lock from the... You should be able to open it from the inside. That's insane. Just old infrastructure. That, that that that's that that's the case for uh like walk-in freezers and stuff is just old old freezers that haven't been updated yeah that's that doesn't seem fair like you should if you're gonna have one you better update it <laughs> you can't be using oh uh, yeah stuff. no like uh, i i imagine there's some requirement that building codes are built that right now, right, you, right. Ha- you have to bring it up to code but like but a lot of people stuff, probably just pay them off stuff <laughs> stuff falls through the cracks all the time yep And to leave this all on a super uncomfortable note, a quote from the deputy district attorney on the case, a man who had apparently prosecuted over 40 murders at the time, stated, I think any person would prefer to be, if they had to die some way, would prefer to be shot or stabbed than to be slowly cooked in an oven. So, yeah. Wow, I'm uncomfortable now. Thanks. (laughs) Even the district attorney's like, oh, I've done a lot of murders but this one this one's not good man this is not good <laughs> a small side the misleading quote was actually this story grouped up with the story of a real tuna recall due to unsanitary packing issues uh so i guess the best panic inducing clickbait is when you take two truths to make a lie <laughs> yeah so there was an actual recall and then there was this story about well, yep. the man being cooked in the oven the re- they squished it together to make People murder them and cooked them into the tuna, and you have you may have people on your table tonight. The recall was is they sold a bunch of tuna cans that hadn't been properly sterilized because they had to shut the oven down because the guy was being cooked inside of it. Not not even the same year, but I, okay. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so that was uh, that was a trip. I, we had better stories than I thought. You know, at first I thought I was gonna be like, 
what's the history of pickled eggs <laughs> or some stuff like that when I covered pickle we we covered pickling a little bit but I thought I was gonna do something lame like that and we had actual good stories I haven't gone yet <laughs> so that's the <laughs> And I was like, I don't remember a single one of his stories, but that's okay. I'm sure he did. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Okay, well. You want a break? <laughs> break for another shot? <laughs> Do you want to? <laughs> I'm just like, well, that's good. Okay. Man, we had really great Show's stories. <laughs> I'm sorry if you did the history of pickled eggs. <laughs> I really am. <laughs> For some reason in my mind, I was just like, and Michael had good ones too. That's <laughs> what happens when we do a double header. <laughs> Please say that again at the end. <laughs> or, or take it back or something. Which which thing? Actually, I didn't like your story. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She thought they were not that good. To uh, my stories, which you've heard. To, to the one, they're really good, actually. I was under. <sighs> Sandwiches can be intellectual property. Yoohoo! The official drink of the papacy. <laughs> oh my god. Parmesan cheese day is October 27th. I think the first one's true, because I I read uh, when we were doing patents, there was definitely a type of uh, a layering of pizza that was specifically patented and microwavable. Oh my god! Can we please... What? No, never. Do mind. another patent one? No, I don't want to get into the whole. I was gonna say, can we get into the whole philosophy on sandwiches versus pizza versus tacos? But I actually don't want to get into. Wait, that right that's now. for the Patreon. <laughs> Uh, okay. You who and the Pepsi. Oh my god, I hope that's true. That's gonna be great if that's true. We're just gonna go with the You Who story, please. I don't even care <laughs> if it's a lie. I just want it to be. I want to hear it. <laughs> so, do you know how many popes there have been? This many. For the people 30, back 40, at home, 50, there's like a ton. 60. Actually, um, there's been like. What, like. 20? Not even 20, huh? Oh, okay. My bad. I'm sorry. I don't know how long they live. <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm learning that there's cults that don't even believe the real pope. The pope is the real pope, so. Okay, so. I'm learning all about the pope. <laughs> Just not how many I, there are. I didn't know I needed to put the, do this. Do you know what the pope is? The pope is the head of the Catholic Church. Yes, and they can trace their lineage back to... John? St. Peter, the first Saint pope. St. Peter. Ah. So. That was St. John. Back roughly 2,000 years. Oh, is that about when? Huh. <laughs> okay. I didn't know they were supposed to have a lineage because it seems like it's a it's There's, democratic. I, okay, so uh, I probably should have looked this up in being, being growing up Catholic. I should have known this. Uh, I don't actually know when when St. Peter was considered a pope? Oh, see, he's a heretic. It's fine, guys. It's okay. He's a heretic anyways. A lot of us didn't know about this stuff either, but we weren't supposed to because, you know, 
I was raised a heathen. Yeah, but at least I knew that there was more than 20 popes. Well, I was trying to do the math, and the math's bad. You know what? If math's not good. If, if I if, didn't know if it was like when the Bible was last voted on or whatever. Anyways, there's been 260. 260 popes? Oh my god. How can be, people pick like one pope to be angry at when you have 260? Like, that's insane. Okay. Now, how many do you think have visited the United States? Like 20? Not even 20. Four. There you go. Not even 20. <laughs> pope Paul IV was the first in October 1965, which also made him the first pope to visit the Western Hemisphere. He famously spent over 13 hours the, at the United Nations pleading for the nuclear arms race to be dissolved. That's nice. I like that. In October 1979, Pope John Paul II made his first of seven trips to the USA. He visited six different cities and gave 69 different sermons and speeches. Okay, wait, wait. oh, say nice. Nice. Good job. Also, he came seven times. Let's be, let's be honest, six of those times specifically for Vegas. We know it. And it's not because he was preaching. No, he didn't come for Vegas. <laughs> Damn. This trip culminated in JP2 visiting with Jimmy Carter, becoming the first pope to enter the White House. Hey, Jimmy Carter. That's probably the best time for the first pope to visit the White House. <laughs> <laughs> in 2008, Pope Benedict XVI visited the USA, but this trip was largely overshadowed by the Catholic Church pedophile scandal that made the news days before his arrival. Yeah, and also Benedict, I, I would say he's the closest to looking like a skeleton pope. Like, that guy is creepy. <laughs> and most recently, Pope Francis visited the USA and Cuba in September of 2015. Woo! Okay, but you go. I, I want to focus on. Is his name like? Is his name like? Hold on. No, I just misspoke. Oh. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to finish so that I can actually get to my finger. <laughs> I know, but I'm trying to come up with. Is it? Is it? Pope. Populus. <laughs> trying to come up with any freaking name. <laughs> Pope <laughs> Come on with a joke. Oh my god, okay. Okay, hold on. You should just continue. Okay, but I want to focus in on one of Pope John Paul II's visits. In August 1993, JP2 joined 180,000 Catholics in Denver for World Youth Day. And while the things he preached about that day are not terribly important now, he had one choice encounter. A Vatican spokesperson commented in an a in an NBC article that the Pope's private jet was going to have quote a couple cases of that American chocolate drink he likes on board. Yes. This is interesting because the Pope has never given a commercial endorsement of any products, and caused a press release from the Vatican stating that the Pope did not have a particular preference among American milk drinks. <laughs> I swear this isn't because he's endorsed. He's not getting paid for this. He's not. <laughs> so Yoohoo is not the official drink of the papacy. Oh. Only in Pope John Paul II's heart. <sighs> Man. <laughs> but it's nice to know one of the popes is like, give me some of that Yoohoo, baby. Some of that American milk drink. Well, huh? what is it in um, Hey Arnold? It's um, it's like Yahoo, Yahoo. just drank it. <laughs> it's got what the plants crave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, I don't even mind that I lost. That was a good story. Good job. <laughs> okay, well, I like 
both the ones well, that I don't care. I get equally. to still pick. Yeah, so you may pick. Oh, thank goodness. Thank you for letting me pick. Sandwiches can be intellectual property. I knew that was true. <laughs> Parmesan cheese day is October 27th. That makes sense because they make everything's a day now. No, that's not it. That's everything's a day. Fine. You know what? Let's go with the sandwiches and then we'll end off with Parmesan. Parmesan. Okay. Hey, also, just um, out there. I'm actually not sure if Parmesan and Parmigiano are related. Oh, I'm gonna get over. I'm gonna go over that. So, what I meant was, I'm very certain about the answer <laughs> of that, and I don't need anybody to explain it to me, especially if it's Michael. That's what I meant to say. Okay, continue with sandwiches, sir. <laughs> so, do you remember if we actually went over what is patentable in our patent episode? We did, and it was a lot did. of stuff, though. Yeah, well, I mean, okay, we didn't. I don't think outwardly say it, but I know there is food that's patentable because I saw the patents for it. <laughs> so just in case you didn't listen to that episode or in case we didn't actually cover it, it something was a, tis a silly episode. <laughs> something is patentable if it is useful, novel, and non-obvious, and all of these things have legal definitions. Which is why I think pineapple on pizza is patentable. Useful. Does the invention have a purpose, and does it actually complete the purpose it set out to do? Novel. The invention cannot have been known, used by, for sale, or already patented by others before the patent applicant applied. And non-obvious. There must be a sufficient difference between previously patented inventions and the current one. And that's defined as a person having average skill in the related industry would not find it obvious to make the change in the new invention. Okay. Having filled that potential plot hole from that episode... On December 21st, 1999, patent 6,004,596 was issued, and with it, a slew of legal interpretations on can something be patented if it's been around for hundreds of years. <laughs> wait, 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 I did just realize <laughs> this is the sandwich, and the sandwich has been around since the Earl of Sandwich? Okay, continue. <laughs> Hundreds of years. Okay, we... I didn't know him personally, so I'm not sure when he was around. <laughs> we probably talked about this, but what's your take on sandwich crust? Or crust in general? Crust in general on sandwiches? Yeah. Oh, I'm a huge fan. That's the part you dip in sauce. Well, supposing you have sauce with your sandwich, I suppose. Or maybe a um gravy sandwich. We should just keep going. <laughs> In 2002, <laughs> Smuckers began selling their Uncrustable sandwiches. Oh, okay, no. For those unfamiliar, a Smuckers Uncrustable is a frozen peanut butter and jelly sandwich that is sealed and does not have a crust. Yeah, it's a freaking... Ugh. The idea abomination. was... Abomination. School-aged children would put the frozen sandwich in their lunchbox, and by lunchtime, it would have thawed out while keeping the rest of their lunch cool. It's elim- actually pretty nice. It eliminated the quote, gross part of the sandwich, and the whole thing was sealed so there wouldn't be a mess while eating the sandwich. Not long after the advent of the Uncrustable, challenger Albie's Food came out with the Easy Jammer Sandwich. It was pretty much the same thing, but weirdly using square bread instead of the circular bread that Smuckers used. Oh yeah, square bread. That is weird. Smuckers immediately sent a cease and desist letter to Albie, citing that they held patent 6,004,596. The Sealed Crustless Sandwich Patent. (laughs) In the letter and subsequent court filings, Smuckers insisted that the patent was different from other crustless sandwiches 
because of the crimping process creating the seal, instead of other brands using cornstarch or other methods to seal their sandwiches. This was in litigation until 2005, when a federal appeals court ruled that patent 6,004,586 was not novel or non-obvious enough to warrant a patent. Smuckers and Albies Foods still make crustless sealed sandwiches, just without holding the patent. Back to the headline, while sandwiches can be intellectual property, the sealed crustless sandwich is not patented. But they can be, but so they it's can still be. true. It's still true. Okay, I would also just like to say, if I was a judge, how much I'd be like, please, please, please let me get the sandwich. I want to I wanna rule on the sandwich one. Please let me have the sandwich one. Everybody's like getting like murders and stuff, and I'm like, please, please, please let me get the patent on the sandwich. Yes! Okay, so there was one thing that stood out that I had to investigate on this. Smucker's Uncrustable is a circular sandwich, while Albie's is rectangular. You can't make a circular loaf of bread, so I decided to do a short dive on how much bread is wasted per sandwich. Oh. Nature's Own Butter Bread is listed as the best-selling white bread in America by Neutronics.com. It's not bad. It's pretty good. And I don't really care if that's true. That's a bread I'm basing this off of. The dimensions of the bread are... 4.25 inches in length by 4.5 inches in width, and I figure the depth is inconsequential to this calculation. I couldn't find any figures on the crust thickness, but let's say that the crust takes up a sixteenth of an inch per side, so the total usable dimension is 4.125 inches by 4.375 inches. After some maths, the difference in area between the two is about 74%, or put another way, Smuckers throws away about 25% of their bread in the circular sandwich making process. Oh my goodness. I would have done a cost analysis, but Albie's Food is a bulk ordering distributor now, or they've always been, I'm not sure. So I couldn't find a price for a single sandwich of theirs. <laughs> That's a lot of wasted bread to make a circular sandwich. I got a couple things to say about that. That's a lot of wasted bread to make a circular sandwich, and I'm the first person to have said that right now. Um, <laughs> and number two... You're so, I love that you did that little nerdy calculation and you made it about something that I care about. Bread. <laughs> <laughs> and sandwiches. <laughs> Throwback to the last episode where I literally said two episodes ago, literally said, I just want potatoes and bread for everything. <laughs> so this was great. <laughs> Parmesan cheese day is October 27th. I like cheese too. Let's go with the cheese. What do you know about Parmesan cheese? It's a, it's a dry cheese. It's uh, very salty. Oh, good. Okay. Um, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's also hard. It's a hard cheese. Yes. It's a hard, salty cheese. Yeah. Um, you can get it grated or even dusted. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, like craft. <laughs> it's dust. Now, what do you know about Parmigiano Reggiano cheese? I know that it tastes the same, and all the recipes that I have that call for Parmigiano-Reggiano, I get it, and I grate it down, and it tastes like Parmesan. <laughs> so, Parmesan is... Wait, 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 wait. And Lydia Bastianich really only wants you to use Parme... Parmigiano-Reggiano, because <laughs> she's sponsored by it. <laughs> so, Parmesan is usually an English or an American imitation of Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese. Like Champagne is to France, Parmigiano-Reggiano is a Parmesan cheese that is exclusively made or cultured in italy but to the eu parmesan and parmigiano reggiano are classified the same and i don't know what the distinction is but basically they're the same cheese at the end of the day 
But while Parmesan cheese can be had for, like, what, three, four dollars pre-graded in a green container at the grocery store, Parmigiano Reggiano is far more nuanced and expensive than that. Yes. And I have no idea how I found this story, but it gets weird real quick. Like most cheeses, Parmigiano Reggiano gets a more unique flavor the longer it's aged. Mm-hmm. And this comes with a heftier price tag. Mm-hmm. It can be aged over three years before it reaches the consumer market. And did you catch my word usage there? The consumer market? That means it's sitting there until they sell it to you. Well, certain banks in Italy will take unaged Parmigiano Reggiano as collateral for business and personal loans. So before the cheese reaches the consumer market, it can be used in the financial marketplace. Oh my god. I'm in the wrong business. I need to be making cheese, man. I can put that down as collateral? Hell yeah. The bank reference I found is to... Credito Emiliano, but I can't imagine they are the only bank who offers this service for all your cheese needs. Wow. This entire thing was created out of necessity for small and medium-sized cheese producers of the Emilia-Romagna region in Italy. Think about it. A small cheese producer wouldn't be able to sell their cheese for a minimum of one year. The shortest age, a Parmigiano-Reggiano, I could find for sale. Okay. But they have daily operating costs to handle and probably wouldn't be able to turn a profit for a few years depending on the size of their outfit. So, Credito Emiliano, or similar banks, take the cheese as collateral, give out business loans to keep the cheese producers in business while the cheese matures. Wow. That's actually really cool because I've always wondered stuff like that. I wonder if they would do that with whiskey here in these states. That would be cool if they did. The most interesting part of this whole transaction is that the bank has two, uh, at least Credito Emiliano, has two temperature and humidity controlled warehouses that can house up to 440,000 80 pound cheese wheels at one time. Whoa, that's so much cheese! Oh my god! While non bank matured Parmigiano Reggiano suffers from a degradation of about 10% of their cheese wheels, bank matured wheels suffer less than 1% degradation. Wow! Why, guys, why do we even need banks? Don't need money, they just need our cheese. And the cheese is good for it, too. Cheese is always good for it. So as I was looking into this, I came up with a few issues with this whole deal. Oh, no. Michael. The first and probably biggest is that if enough cheese producers defaulted, the bank could create an artificial scarcity of Parmigiano by just letting the collateral mature for longer and longer until they had a price they'd be willing to sell for. Oh, no. They would do what bank people do. You're right. The other is that if the bottom (laughs) of the cheese market fell out, then the corral would become worthless. Michael, listen to yourself. The bottom of the cheese market, cheese is gold, okay? You could probably run a whole country off of the value of cheese. Cheese will never die. Weirdly, I didn't consider the third option. In May 2012, two sizable earthquakes hit the Emilia-Romagna region in Italy, causing millions of dollars worth of damage, including damaging the warehouses where the Parmigiano was stored. 360,000 cheese wheels were in danger of degrading now that the warehouses where they were stored could not be temperature and humidity controlled, potentially costing the cheese producers over $200 million alone. Why does Mother Nature hate cheese? Enter chef Massimo Bottura, a native of the region and a world-renowned chef. He created a risotto recipe using the Parmigiano Reggiano and rice, one of the other industries hit hard by the earthquakes. An entire social media campaign was started for Parmigiano Reggiano Night, and was set for October 27, 2012. The recipe was shared all over the internet so that anyone who had the ingredients could participate. 
All 360,000 wheels were sold, and not a single cheesemaker went bankrupt due to Chef Batura's action. That's so nice. See, guys, the cheese didn't go bad. Because in Italy, they would never let cheese go bad. That's great. That's a good story. (laughs) I love cheese. (laughs) (laughs) That was really cool. That would not happen here in the States. We would just let the cheese rot. (laughs) And we'd probably be like, cashing on the insurance, baby. We'd let the cheese market fall out. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, my God. They would be planning for the cheese market to fall out. Are you kidding me? They'd be banking on... They would be banking on... I I look, you can can invest in cheese futures, and I wonder if anyone shorted the cheese futures in 2012. Oh, my God. And made a killing. (laughs) Made a killing on cheese futures because of the earthquakes. (laughs) Well, they... I mean, God... That made a lot of space for new cheeses to come in. <laughs> Man, what a crazy place. Yeah, some stuff is... I love yeah, it. Some stuff is very crazy. Wow, see, I don't regret any of your stories. Those were all really good. Do you have anything else? Uh, no, I don't think so, because oh, they were going to be... Hold on, wait, you know what? Hold on, hold on. I did, actually, I had... Okay, you can go, but then I have a complaint. Yeah, my... say your complaint first. Okay, my freaking complaint was... When I was looking up food and like weird food stories, people had like my like top weirdest foods and mostly it was people just saying things like there was a a person who said shredded wheat. Shredded wheat is sold in every store here in the US. That's not weird. And then like other people we're putting that kind of stuff next to Rocky Mountain Oysters, which, yes, they are weird. That's a normal weird thing. Everybody thinks that's weird. Even people who probably eat them are like, oh, I eat them because they're weird. But it's just like people sit on the internet all day and they write little blog posts and they just sit around and yuck people's yums. And I'm not down for that. I wanted really good stories. And everybody's just like, well, some people put ketchup on mashed potatoes. And it's like, Cool, man, yeah. If you've been in any cafeteria anywhere, you've seen that. <laughs> Anyways, that's my one gripe, is that the internet is full of people who are just going, Oh, that's not how I like it. Your turn. <laughs> so I came up with another quiz round. No. Guess their meal. No. Or I guess 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 their final meal. Oh, final meal, okay. The last meal requests are kind of interesting, but I couldn't really fit them into a story, so I made this guessing game. <sighs> I'll give you the person. A short rundown of them, and then you need to guess what their last meal was. My problem is I remember the meals. I don't remember the people who requested them. Philip Workman was put to death in May 2009 in Nashville for the murder of a police officer. Is he the one that wanted a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? In lieu of a last meal, he asked that a vegetarian pizza be donated to a local homeless shelter. The prison did grant this wish, but local homeless shelters were inundated with vegetarian pizzas on the day of his death. (laughs) (laughs) james edward smith who was executed in texas in june 1990 okay is he the one that wanted a whole thing of ice cream he wanted his last meal to be a lump of dirt (laughs) unsurprisingly dirt was not on the approved list of foods that the prison would serve so he was given yogurt instead Like how there's yogurt and just like, mmm, this is kind of like it, right? If you just wait for a little bit. (laughs) Ted Bundy 
was executed by electric chair on January 24th, 1989, after confessing to the murder of 30 women. Okay, Bundy is either the one that wanted the Rocky Road ice cream, or he's the one that ordered, like, the nines. Like, he had the whole KFC thing. Like, I don't remember. He declined his last meal. Oh, okay. He was offered steak. He was offered steak and eggs with hash browns and coffee, but declined to eat any of it. Wow, that's actually really nice. I'd be like, well, man, I wasn't gonna eat, but if you got it. (laughs) Serial killer and prostitute Eileen Carol Wernos was executed by lethal injection on October 9th, 2002 for the murder of seven men in Florida. Wasn't hers just like a cigarette? (laughs) She also declined her last meal and was served a cup of coffee before her execution. Oh, it was just a cup of coffee. Okay. Man, I'm striking out. (laughs) Last one. Victor Figur. Convicted for the murder of Dr. Edward Bartles, was executed by hanging on March 15th, 1963 in Iowa. 1963, Iowa. He just wanted a big old, big old raw corn cob. He asked for a single olive for his last meal. Oh, yeah, he's an olive guy. He thought that the olive symbolized peace and hoped that an olive tree would sprout from his dead body. So I imagine he ate the pit, too. Yeah, he probably just gulped it down. It wasn't really a meal, it was more of a thing... I don't think the pit's gonna find his stomach acid that good, but if it comes out of him, his body will definitely maybe, be used as, like, Maybe compost. Maybe he thought that if he, he died soon enough that his stomach acid wouldn't, wouldn't degrade the uh, the pit. But yeah, I mean, a human body is pretty good compost, so when you start degrading down, it would give it food to live. I bet there's no freaking olive tree, though, so... <laughs> yeah, so that was all of them. That's fun. Great. You didn't get cool. a single one. Yeah, no, uh, I didn't. The, because they're hard. I don't know. People Rocky always Road, talk about this stuff. I want to say the Rocky Road ice cream was like Jeffrey Dahmer or someone. Yeah, it's one of the big... The where si- it was like... Um, I, I, I think I think Gacy's the one that ordered like he wanted yeah, a chicken, I, a, a pizza. I purposely a, did not do some of the bigger names. <laughs> some roast beef, a chicken, a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> no, this is Patrick. <laughs> Um, well, so, what are you going to eat? I don't know. On your last day. Oh, um, some pizza, some <laughs> chicken. <laughs> some, pe- some roast beef, a chicken, a pizza. <laughs> I think, let's see. Oh, uh, some sort of pepper, whole. Oh, whole, that's, and that's, a be- and, that's and, a- and a beer, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Okay, Although well. uh, the reason I brought that up is uh, most most states, uh, if they haven't already outlawed capital punishment, uh, they don't give. They don't do the last. They don't do meal last meal anymore. anymore. You because... just you just get whatever's on the menu. Yeah. But if I could, yeah, I'd, I'd get some sort of hot pepper in a in a beer. That sounds good. It's yeah, like, the... a, like a habanero. I guess I'm torn on the last meal thing because I feel like a last meal is a nice thing to have, but also. The people who are getting it are usually not nice people, so they don't really deserve it. I doubt they ever, like, let their victims have a last meal, so why should they? What would you choose? Uh, one time we calculated how many bar as hot dogs would fit into a swimming pool. <laughs> yes, we did. And I think, honestly, that wouldn't be so bad. Just, like, dive into a swimming pool <laughs> and you're, like, already immersed. So it's, like, it's not hard. You don't have to reach too far to get the food you're putting in your mouth because you're just laying in it. So, I mean... Won't be so bad, I guess. Specifically, Bar S. Not because they're good, but because they're there. <laughs> and 
uh, for context, it was like a few hundred thousand in an Olympic-sized swimming pool, and uh, we calculated that. Did we do this on the podcast at some point? No, we oh. did. The... <laughs> Unfortunately, this was just Anyways, us talking. The, the, co- the cost was only, it was very reasonable. It was only like $600. Well, because they were also, they were doing some sort of like a BOGO <laughs> thing at the time. I was like, how many, if I had $1,000, could I fill an Olympic size swimming pool with bar hot dogs? Yeah, I, the conclusion is I think for about $1,000, you could fit, you know, fill an entire mm. Olympic size swimming pool. Probably. Man, that, that'd be fun to watch the Olympics. Just no water, just. Hot dogs. Oh my god, man, when they dive, like, hey, they never have to worry about Splash again. Watch the 1500 freestyle just flopping on top of <laughs> yeah. hot dogs. No, what you're going to have is you're going to have new injuries. Somebody's going to somehow freakishly end up with one <laughs> stuck way up into his cranium or something. Like, how did you do that? And they're like, well, the trajectory and this the way this hot dog was and the amount of hot dogs beneath it Wait, just so caused the perfect storm. For, for your final meal, you want to Scrooge McDuck a bunch of hot dogs. Oh, hell yeah. Yes. <laughs> if I can't Scrooge Mc... Okay, either that or I get to Scrooge McDuck actual, like, uh, little chocolate coins. Oh, Chocolate coins, I was about to say. I don't, oh, no, I don't, I don't think want to put your, money in my mouth. I don't think no. for your final meal we'll give you a million dollars in pennies. <laughs> and he spits out all the coins. That's disgusting. And for a rich person, you'd think you'd know that. But I guess ducks just, I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Okay, I guess maybe it's we should t- stop talking to stop now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm sorry. Food, Food's just like, no offense, it's one of our... One of our passion projects. <laughs> okay, well, thanks for listening. Have a good one. Bye. For show ideas, inaccuracies, or general comments, you can email us at thelivepatrol at gmail.com. Intro and outro music provided by The Simulation Hypothesis by Revolution Void. Found on the Free Music Archive, CCBY license. Thanks for listening. That's gonna suck to listen to.